Good morning. Welcome to the Sunday morning celebration here at the Center for Spiritual Living. My name is Reverend Catherine Cardinal, and it's my honor and privilege to be one of your staff ministers. The Center for Spiritual Living. We are a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know there is no wrong way to worship, whether it be lighting a candle, facing the east, burning incense, repeating a mantra, lighting a menorah, or offering prayer. We respect all the ways there are to draw closer to spirit, for even though there may seem to be great differences on the path, the destination is the same. Our vision here is inspiring the recognition of spirit in all, and we are delighted that you have chosen to be here this morning with us. If it is your first time to our center, I extend a special welcome to you, and I invite you to stop at our welcome table at the back of the sanctuary to talk to the people that are there and They can answer any questions that you might have, and we have a gift for you as well. So one way that we allow the spirit to be ignited within is by singing together, and I invite you to sing with us this beautiful contemplative song. It's very meditative, so I'll invite you to stay seated. It's called So Much Magnificence. coming in There is so much magnificence Near the ocean Waves are coming in Waves are coming in There
So much magnificence. Thank you very, very much. And thanks for joining us in that beautiful, beautiful chant. I'd like to share some of the magnificent things that are happening here in the center. And first of all, I just would like to thank all of you who supported our magnificent teen event on Friday evening. Thank you so much for supporting our teens. And the teens had a fabulous time, and um, we're just so blessed to be able to have them come into such a loving community that supports our teen group so, so well. So thank you. We're looking at something new at the center, and that is a Toastmasters group. And so on Friday, July 24th, from 7 till 9 p.m., we're going to have the opportunity to have an information meeting. And this is an opportunity for you to be able to see what a Toastmasters meeting looks like. So it's a demonstration evening. The center needs 20 members to be able to start its own club. And there is no fee for this intro evening, so we'll invite you to come if that's something that tweaks your interest. Dr. Rick Moss is coming back by popular demand. His workshop is entitled Pre-Cognitive Re-Education Training, and it will be held on the weekend of August 14th, 15th. And we do invite you to sign up at the events table. His workshop was very well attended here, and people really asked for him to come back, and we listened and invited him to come back. So please sign up today if that's something that you are interested in. As well, our Circle of Love gathering is happening in Kelowna in the summertime, and I'm sure many of you can tell me what the dates of that are. It's August 17th through 20th. This is the first time we've had it here in Canada, and we're excited to be bringing this um, to have this Canadian experience. We will have brilliant speakers, fabulous musicians, many experiential workshops. It'll be a sacred opportunity for you to be able to really connect with who and what you are, and that is the spirit within. And there is information at the welcome table, as well as in your program. And so, Robin, it's your turn. So I'm pretty happy to introduce our guest solos today. Uh, Martin Kerr is, was an instant favorite when he came to our center the first time. 
because he is a fabulous songwriter with a fabulous voice and fabulous delivery. And it's my pleasure to reintroduce Martin Kerr, and Sue's going to be doing some backup vocals. And just as Martin gets ready, I want to just say a little bit about him. Um, Martin just loves to sing to make people happy. And uh, one of the ways he does that is he, he is taking the summer to be a street performer. And I don't know if any of you saw him yesterday yeah, at the far, for downtown farmer's market, spreading his love and his light and his joy. So welcome back. It's always lovely to see you. Good morning, everyone. So in the spirit of street performance, um, I know many of you, Maybe most of you have already taken home my CD, but uh, for those of you who haven't yet, yet had the opportunity, um, it's on a pay-what-you-like basis today. So you can throw whatever you like in the case and uh, take a CD home with you. This is a tune from the CD, and it's about wandering the globe and looking for a sense of home. Um, I used to live in China for about three years, and uh, then I left and came to North America. But I went back for a few visits, and on one of these visits I was... Um, hanging out with some musician friends of mine. We had a big fancy dinner together. And me and this girl called Julie, who I was singing with, um, were on our way home. And uh, I suggested that we go and visit this family who lived in the next block. It was quite the next block. There was, we were having dinner in this fancy kind of uh, expatriates complex with a big 10-foot wall with shards of glass cemented in the top of it to keep out the peasants. And there's these kind of two different worlds of wealth and poverty that exist in China. And on the other side was this farmland where people farm plots of land about half the size of this room um, to make their living and lived in little shacks that they built out of spare bricks they found lying around. So I knew one family that lived on this place and uh, I suggested we go check up on them, see how they were doing. So we did. And you know how when you're absolutely stuffed, you don't even look at another piece of food? But uh, they insisted that we come in and, uh, and eat. And they served us everything they had in the cupboards. Um, from this smelly old tofu that had been festering in a bucket under the table. Um, and the table was this wobbly piece of wood covered in flies. And, uh, and for dessert, we had um, a cold chicken's foot each. And I just couldn't even bear to look at the thing. And I, I looked at my friend Julie just trying to apologize with my eyes for getting into the, her into this mess. But she smiled right back at me and shoved the whole chicken's foot into her mouth. And uh, at that moment, in that little shack covered in flies, I felt truly at home. And I realized that it's really the quality of the people that you're with that makes you feel at home. So that's what this is about. It's called Chicken's Feet. sadness of being on my own Just like the drunkard so ashamed of his vice He'd drink all day long to forget it Oh no, I wanna go home So book me another vacation At least I've no fear if I die while I'm here I'm covered for Desktop by surfing the net, munching on dietary cigarettes. 
pockets. All I've been searching for is there in your eyes The fire that assures me I'm able Thanks so much. It's very brave to re-experience that experience of eating chicken's feet every time you sing that song. <laughs> Our practitioners in service today are Cassandra Van Merlin, Elizabeth Manuel, Reverend Pat Bradeau, Tammy Banting, and Marsha Hoskins. These practitioners are in service, and they were in service at the One Minute Ministry, will be in service at the One Minute Ministry after service, and, were, and provide, they always provide our meditation prior to service as well. Also, if there's anything that you would like prayer support with this week, I invite you to drop that into the basket on that Opportunity for You card, and this team will do prayer work, affirmative prayer work, spiritual mind treatment for you this week. And I'd like to invite Tammy Banting forward, who will offer us our reading this morning. Good morning. Our quote this morning is from our founder, Ernest Holmes. To learn how to think is to learn how to live. The reading this morning is from the book Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. Um, And it is written by a wonderful author whose name I can't even begin to pronounce. So, (laughs) great thinkers have always been motivated by the enjoyment of thinking rather than the material rewards that could be gained by it. Democritus, one of the most original minds of antiquity, was highly respected by his countrymen. However, they had no idea what Democritus was about. Watching him sit for days immersed in thought, they assumed he was acting unnaturally and must be ill. 
So they sent for Hippocrates, the great doctor, to see what ailed their sage. After Hippocrates, who was not only a good medical man but also wise, discussed with Democritus the absurdities of life, he reassured the townspeople that their philosopher was, if anything, only too sane. He was not losing his mind. He was lost in the flow, in the flow of thought. The surviving fragments of Democritus' writing illustrate how rewarding he found the practice of thinking to be. It is godlike ever to think on something beautiful and on something new. Happiness does not reside in strength or money. It lies in the righteous and many-mindedness. I would rather discover one true cause than gain the kingdom of Persia. Not surprisingly, some of his most enlightened contemporaries concluded that Democritus had a cheerful disposition and said that he called cheerfulness and often confidence, that is, a mind devoid of fear, the highest good. In other words, he enjoyed life because he had learned to control his consciousness. Our speaker today is a visionary, left- and right-brain thinker. His life is his message. His passion for spirit and co-creation is contagious. Please help me to welcome our spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. How's everybody? All you great thinkers. All right. I want to share with you an idea that uh, I shared last week, but I, I think it's worth hearing again if you weren't here last week. Anybody here for the first time? Welcome. Oh, Louise, you're not here for the first time. But we are here for the first time. We're born again, I guess, is the phrase. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm Patrick Cameron. I'm the spiritual director, and welcome. Ernest Holmes was our founder. Back in the 1920s, he wrote a book called The Science of Mind. And he used to say, as the quote said, that uh, to learn how to think is to learn how to live. And I think that our journey together is really examining our level of thinking, our level of consciousness, and then choosing or... Or, or choosing again, changing our minds and keep, keeping them changed. Dr. Holmes had this to say, and I think it's true. I want to see a time and expect to see it when everyone who comes into one of our meetings who needs healing will go out well. This is one of our meetings, and this is our expectation. It ought to be that way. It is wrong if it isn't that way. We haven't put the thing together right if we don't do it. We are not to be blamed. It isn't our fault. We just haven't done it. And we should not criticize ourselves for not having done it because that's a waste of time. But all the wealth of the world cannot compensate for this, as that reading just said. There's, there is nothing the world can give us in exchange for the coin of the eternal kingdom of the everlasting God. And I want to share that with you because I think it's true. Wherever you are in your journey, and maybe, it's, maybe there's a thought, maybe there's something that's going on with you right now that is, is creating anxiety or fear or apprehension. And perhaps the healing or what's, what's required or, or might be invited into your experience is just simply making peace with the idea right now and understanding that that is the sandpaper that's allowing, us to, allowing you and I to, to, to um, soften some of the edges on our consciousness and awareness and realize this is part of the journey, that it's not about not being uncomfortable. It's about being uncomfortable most of the time if we're doing this work because there's always something new to know and something new to experience, something new to 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 make known in our own awareness and realization and to apply it in our lives. So with that said, I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to stand up with me while we sing a song and say a prayer, please do so. If you'd like to stay seated, please do that as well. In this very room, 
There's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me, one life, one power, I claim that life as my own. And as I say this in the I am Allow my words to be your words if they fit. For it is our life. It is my life. And as I open to that and accept that and, and, and co- consistently aware of that, everything necessary for me to revel in this moment, to be present in this moment, to plant seeds of possibility and, and, and opportunity with the expectancy of great good, that is who and what I am. My life is, I am a magnet for abundance. I am a magnet for creativity. I am magnet for the opportunities that are being called forth in my awareness right here and right now. And I live and move and have my being in that expectancy. And so I give thanks for this knowing. I know that whatever is important and right for me to know or for you to know this day is made clear and obvious so that I may make the next choice as beautifully and productively and expectantly and joyfully as is available to me in this moment. For this I give thanks. I celebrate our gathering, our musicians, our fellowship, our teaching. And the love and the light that is in this sanctuary that ripples out and touches lives we can't even imagine right here and right now, for we are the light of the world. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you. I've got those Martin Kerr songs going around and around in my head right now. It's awesome. Such great music. Thank you, Brown. We are so blessed. To have the music that we have and to have the community that we have and the consciousness that continues to grow and, and, uh, and reproduce itself by means of our individual lives and, and our collective life. And that's what Dr. Holmes, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said years ago. Everything that is happening on the planet is moving us towards a greater expression of consciousness, the evolution of consciousness. That's why we're here. And, it, and I truly believe that it is the work, the most important work that we can do. So we've been using this book by Daniel Pink called A Whole New Mind, and it's really a great fit for what we teach and who we are and where we are and where we're going. And I love it. I love the genius of the universe because everybody shows up and expresses it in a a certain way. What he had to say, um, Dr. Holmes had to say, was to learn how to think is to learn how to live. You've heard that a few times this morning, but it's it's worth remembering because really what we're here doing is refining our level of thinking and stepping back from the current conditions of our life in a way that, that allow us to observe and say, is this working for me or not? So the, the title of my, my sharing today is Working Smart, Not Hard. Anybody here interested in working smart, not hard? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Can I get an amen? All right. We've got it going now. So in this, in this, uh, this beautiful book, he talks about the, the shift, the reflection of what, where we've been in consciousness. You know, a hundred years ago, most people grew their own crops and they raised their own livestock. And we, that shift, is we see it now. Most of us don't do that. Some still do, and some are going back to that. There was an article in the journal this morning about that. 
But the point is, is that there's three things that have shifted and changed in the last oh, period of time. One is, one is abundance, the other is Asia, and the other is automation. And so I want to t- talk about those briefly today because they really set up, I think, what we teach here in a, in a wonderful way. Last week I talked about left brain, right brain. Left brain is all linear. It's the text. It's all the, the, the text that we need to, to you know, we, I, read, I read throughout the week. It's text. And then what I get to do is take that and think about it and filter it in a way so I can bring it to context so that there's some meaning, so there's an application in our lives that has has some meaning. Otherwise, it's just I could stand up here and read the textbook to you. I could stand up here and read the phone book to you. But we probably wouldn't be gathering like this in a couple of weeks. You seen that guy? He's over there reading the phone book. So the point is, we need both. We need both the left and the right brain. I have an example of it in my own life. When I, when I got into ministry, and I've told the story many times, but when I first got into ministry, it was, you know, discovering, is this for me? Because I've got to tell you, this was not on my list of things to do. And as I got into it, and I realized this was really a good fit, and, and I started to look for ways to simplify my life so that I could pour more of my energy into ministry. And I lived in Simi Valley, California at the time, and uh, I was a, a contractor and a cabinet maker and a finished carpenter, and I had, I had built many, many beautiful things for many very wonderful clients over the years, had done it for, you know, 20 years. And so there was a test at the city of Simi Valley for a city carpenter. The city carpenter retired. So I said, I'm going to go down and take the test. This will be great. Start at 7 in the morning, done at 3.30. I got time to teach class at night, work on my talks. I'll have benefits. I don't have to worry about selling more work and get things done. Deadlines, it'll just free me up. This will be great. So I go down to take the test. And the test is things like, how long is a 16-penny nail? How long is a 16-penny nail? Anybody know? 16 pennies. See, that was my answer, too. I didn't know. <laughs> didn't know. Been picking them up by the handfuls for years and nailing things together, but did not know. And the, and the answers were, it's multiple guess. My favorite test. You know, no essays on that, just multiple guess. A, B, C, or D. Is it three inches, three and an A, three and a quarter, three and three A's? So I did my best. I, got, I answered every question. I checked them off. How, how many uh, reciprocations per second in a reciprocating saw? Once again, go ahead, shout it out. <laughs> What's the calibration for a bandsaw for the, for the guard? Yeah. So anyway, guess what? It was all text. Stuff I didn't have a clue. Now, if you'd like me to, to, to build you a room addition, and I have a set of architectural plans, I can do that. No problem. But this stuff, I didn't have a clue, so I flunked the test. I got the test results back. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm thinking, this is great. I'm off in the fantasy, right? I'm going to do this thing. This will be great. Make life easier. And I can pour myself into, with passion into what I want to do, just show up, do my time. Kind of like jail, isn't it? Kind of like working on a chain gang. Do my time. And so I flunked the test. And I told Laura the other day, we were talking about this yesterday, I said, you know, if I'd passed that test, I probably wouldn't have come to, to Canada because that, that would have been good. It would have been easy. I'd have had benefits. I could have worked to retirement, done church. Oh, wow. It wasn't a big enough idea. See, the universe in its infinite wisdom knew this isn't a big enough idea. But at the time, I was quite surprised. But I look back and I realized that was all text. See, and I could take, I could take it into context. I was one of those guys in school. They would be, they'd be studying something. 
I mean, I could memorize anything. When I got into acting, I didn't realize what a great memory I had. I'm, work, I'm doing a play with a guy one year, Ernie Hudson, the guy that played the Black Ghostbuster. We did the Great White Hope in Minneapolis. And, and so uh, a year and a half later, they did the play again, and Ernie was in it. And they called me and said, could you do, we, the guy that was doing your part got sick, could you come down and do it again? I remembered all the lines. And one of the guys that remembered me from the first play said, you should be a doctor with a memory like that. It's the first time anybody told me in my life I had a good memory. But I cared about it. I was passionate about it. It was good, it was good learning for me. So it wasn't that I, I wasn't capable of it. It was just that the way I learned was different. And so for the text and the memorization, if it didn't apply in my life, forget it. I didn't want it. And so that it's, it's an example of left and right brain. And as, I, as the years went by, I realized how important it is. Left brain is very, very important because left brain has brought us so many benefits. The left brain has created the knowledge worker, as Daniel Pink says. It has shaped our society. It has developed character. It has developed leadership. And it has created the social profile of the modern age, left brain thinking. Logical and analysis. It's also created the SATocracy, the SATocracy, he calls it, where access to the good life depends on one's ability to reason logically, sequentially, and speedily. I could do the logically and the sequentially. Sometimes I couldn't do it speedily. So, you know, those guys that are really good test takers works really well. The whole thing is set up. If you're a good test taker, boom, boom, boom. I just didn't see the value in it, so I didn't care. Didn't pour any energy into it. And I'm not saying my way was the right way. Believe me, I could have, paid, I, I could have disciplined myself in a more concise way. So abundance. What's, what, what this takes us to is what has shifted and changed for us is abundance. For most of our history, our lives were defined by scarcity. 100 years ago, 50 years ago, some people still living in scarcity. We still have that going on on the planet. Some may be here today with us. It's okay. It's not a bad experience. It's not a judgment. Scarcity is a reality. But today, the defining feature of social, economic, and cultural life in much of the world is abundance. A tremendous abundance here. Yesterday, Laura and I were watching HBO, and they had a special on about uh, the de- depression. And they had these little grade one people, little people interviewing these elderly people that have lived through the depression. And so this just beautiful little angel is in interviewing this elderly lady. His name is Kaysen, and he's six years old, and he's in grade one. And, and he says, well, tell me about your experience in the Depression. And so this lady says, well, you know, there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, we didn't have food then like we have now. And he says, oh, really? He said, well, did you have chips and salsa? And she said, no. And he said, well, he said, would you like me to bring some 21st century food here and you could taste it? I mean, you know, you're grade one, you're six years old. I guess she did just drop out of the sky and never tasted 21st. And she laughed and said, well, I know what that tastes like. But this idea, so, you know, a lot of scarcity then, especially, and we see it now. You know, there's been an economic meltdown with all this stuff that's going on, and I don't want to get into that with you right now, but it's part of the cultural conditioning right now. It's part of the race consciousness cultural conditioning in terms of what's happening. Right now, and I'm going to use some American statistics because I don't have the Canadian ones, but two out of three Americans up until probably the meltdown own their own home. It's probably still statistically pretty close. And as well as 13% of all homes sold now are second homes for people. There's self-storage business. Anybody, any idea what the self-storage business generates annually in the United States? Self-storage. You've got so much stuff, you've got to rent something to store it. $17 billion a year to store our stuff we got so much stuff. If you have extra change in your pocket, you're in the top 5% of people on the planet. You know what? In fact, if you have extra change, give it to Martin on the way out. He's been busking all week. 
And the United States spends more, more on trash bags than 90 other countries spend on everything else. More on trash bags than 90 other countries spend on anything else. So do we live in an abundant society? I guess if we use those measures, we can say, wow, things have changed. But what's happened is with the right brain, the shifting of things, the sensibilities have changed. So what happens with right brain now is we want, not only do we want the linear thing, but we want it to have beauty, we want it to be connected spiritually, and we want to have emotion around it. An example of that here locally is our labyrinth walk. We put candles out. We're buying candles all the time, those little tea lights. We're out of candles. Oh, we've got to go get more candles. Why would we need candles? We've got lights. But see, the, can- the candles have a certain energy. There's an ambience with it. And it's quite beautiful when it's lit up. It's a wonderful thing. But the lights don't work. We want candles. Well, candles went out when Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. But we love that. There's, a, there's a, an aesthetic to it. There's a spirituality to it. And there's an emotion wrapped around it. And that's the emerging consciousness. That's the awareness. The most striking feature of contemporary culture is the unslaked craving for transcendence. I used that quote last week. It's that longing for transcendence. And what's happened with abundance is abundance has literally freed hundreds of millions of people from the struggle for survival. And it's made it possible for the quest for self-realization from a minute fraction of the population to almost the whole of it. So it used to be a unique experience. Why would we create all this abundance? What's the purpose of it? Because we realize more and more and more and more still doesn't bring us more satisfaction. Perhaps it is to free us up to have more of a deep experience of life at that deep level. I think that's exactly why it's happened. And I think that we, we you know, for me, in my life now, part of what my first, my first experience with ministry is I, I explained to you. The reason that I wanted something that took less energy was because I, I longed to immerse myself in the teaching and to learn and to teach well and to study and to do those things. And, and running my own business the way I was, uh, was taking away from that. So there was a certain level, it was a growth that I went through, but I had to develop that that consciousness, that awareness. As a result of making that affirmation and declaration, all of a sudden an opportunity showed up in my life that I didn't even expect. How many people would want to move to Edmonton from Southern California and do church? And yet, to this day, it is one of the, the most beautiful opportunities, one of the most beautiful doorways that's ever opened up in my life. And Laura and I talk about it all the time. Oh, thank you guys. Oh, sweet. Eh, you're sweet. But it's true. It's true. And, and I, I just, Laura and I talk about it all the time, the blessings that this is. And it hasn't been easy. It's been a challenge at times. But it's been completely worth it. So abundance has been, has been just, it's so important for us, for all of us. I have a beautiful, uh, A beautiful paragraph I want to share with you around this because I think it's true. And it comes from Rick, Richard Moss's book. Not Rick Moss will be with us in a few weeks, but Rick, Richard Moss called uh, The Mandela of Being. He says, Many people discover the limits of their faith when they are afraid of not having enough money. Ever been there? Ever not have enough money? I did it one time just to scare myself. <laughs> I love those Doseki commercials on TV. Have you seen that guy? He, he's, uh, uh, Max has a friend that went down. He's, he says, and he... he uh, Created an awkward moment for himself just to see what it felt like, you know. Uh, but, it, but it's the commercial. That's, Dos Equis is the beer with the two X's on it. Max had a friend that my son Max went to. A uh, friend came back from Mexico, and he said, wow, we were drinking this beer down there. And Max says, well, what kind of beer was it? And he says, I don't know the name of it. It just had two X's on it. It's Dos Equis. Two X's? Dos? Anyway, 
All right. <clears throat> does have a name. All right. Many people discover the limits of their faith when they are afraid of not having enough money. Too many of us let money fears, basic survival consciousness, which is what Daniel Pink's talking about, keep us in jobs we don't enjoy or in relationships that are no longer healthy for us. And when we do so, our faith is only as alive as the security we derive from having enough money. But if we can look at the sphere and see that it is simply a sensation that can be accommodated and not reacted to, we increase our faith. Talking about refining the level of our thinking. I don't have enough money. Here I am, not having enough money again. This is interesting. Can't wait to see how this comes out. And so when the bill collectors call you, you let them know, hey, we're in this together, man. This is exciting. I can't wait to see how this comes out. I can't pay you. But isn't this amazing? Because I know I'm going to pay you eventually. I mean, have you ever said that to a bill collector? It's exciting stuff. I used to go into the lumberyard all the time. I couldn't get the job done. I'd have to go and tell, you know, I'd owe these guys thousands of dollars. I'd say, guess what? <laughs> Don't have a check for you. I could give you a check as long as you promise me you won't cash it till Christmas. And then I'd always say, because I thought it was so funny and clever on my part, and if it's no good by Christmas, just throw it away. But if we look at this fear and see that it is simply a sensation that can be accommodated and not reacted to, we increase our faith. So we bring awareness to it. We bring consciousness to it. This is the condition. This is the fact in my life. But if I pour more worry into it, what do I do? I perpetuate the story. I feed that story. It's like throwing, it's like throwing dry wood on a, on a burning fire. Oh, yeah. Whew, not enough. We, we demystify the power we have given to money and we can make wiser choices. And then money ceases to be such a defining force in our life. See, once you get the money thing handled, life takes on a whole different complexion. And, and, you know, and I used to think when I found this teaching, it was just about more and more and more and more and more and more money. Oh, I can fix this. I just need more and more and more and more money. Sell another job, work a third job, well, all that stuff. I realized, you know, maybe it's just better money management. Maybe when I'm making a commitment to something, I say, you know, do I want to pay for this new vehicle for the next 60 months or not? Do I want to take this debt on? And I realized, hmm, I might have enough money in my life. I just could make better choices. You know, it's all, it's all that awareness. It's, it's not one thing. So abundance is allowed us as freedom. He talks about Asia in the book. And just a few statistics about Asia, what's happened. Because we can see how our, our needs and the demands of the society are shifting and changing. In Asia, uh, well, in, in the United States, a, a chip designer for a computer chip makes about $7,000 per month. In India, that same person earns 1000 Aerospace engineer, U.S., 6000 In Russia, 650 a month. $5,000 a month for an accountant in the Philippines is $300 a month, which is quite nice for a, a, an environment where the annual income, per, per, uh, the average, is $500 per year. You're making big bucks, you're making $300 a month in the Philippines. So what's happening is a lot of things have been outsourced. They've been moved to, to a new, because um, they, can, they can fill that need. And it's happening. If you read the book, the book by Thomas Friedman, uh, The World is Flat, he talks about it extensively in there. It's a really nice companion to this book, actually. So we've, now we know that there's certain skills that we have. You know, when I had my um, cabinet shop, I'd look around, and there were guys that could, could cut and put together a cabinet in an afternoon that would take me a week. And I thought, Phew. I remember when I came here, Gary Buckingham and I were talking. Gary was at the first service, and he, he wanted to be a cabinet maker. I said, Gary, why do you want to be a cabinet maker? Oh, you know, I want to make fine furniture. I said, well, good. But don't expect to make a living at it because that's automated. And I mean, there's one thing to, to feed your soul with it, but another thing to try and compete with people that they got. They, they had hundreds of thousands of dollars machines at a shop next to me when I was down there. I'm, I'm building stuff with a rock and a stick, and they're just 
putting it into a conveyor belt, and it comes out and cut and put together. I'm like, huh. You know, I felt like I had a teaspoon, and I was throwing water into the ocean trying to raise the level. But the sign was, you know, the, sign, the, the signs were there. And then automation, which ties into that. There's a story in the book about John Henry. And John Henry is this mythological figure that, that was this incredible worker, and he had all this energy and strength, and, and they're going to have a contest between the machine and John Henry going through the mountain. And so they get going, and, and the machine takes off, and it's got the lead, and then John Henry catches him, and back and forth, and back and forth. And finally, at the very end, John Henry, a burst of energy, and he makes it through the mountain first. He defeats the machine. And about 10 minutes later, he drops dead from exhaustion. But we no longer do that. We no longer, we no longer do anything as automation is caught up with us. And so what they talk about in the book is that you, know, you can outsource your taxes. You can send your taxes. There are companies, you can go online and do your taxes. You can go online and do your will. All this information is out there now. So we don't need the same kind of help and hand-holding. They said that the lawyers that will last now are the ones that can do mediation and they can sit down and they can help figure out complex problems. There's still a need for that. But in terms of this duplication of energy and effort, it's no longer required. So what's the point? You know, we're, we're moving into this new age. I think if we understand this and understand and we look over the history and understand what's happened for us, it's exciting because it frees us up. It frees us up in ways to be creative and to be that right brain thinking and to bring the aesthetic to what we do as well as not just the left brain because the left brain, we have to have them both. And what I find for, for our teaching why it's such a nice uh, tie-in is that there's the love and the law. We talk about, in this teaching, we talk about the love and the law. There's two legs. We have to stand in both. I got one leg in the love and one leg in the law. And the law can do, only do one thing. It says yes. That's why thought is creative. I've been having this discussion, and, and I got some feedback from some folks wanting better explanation on what I've been saying for several weeks. You don't get what you want. You get what you expect. What does that mean? Well, when we show up here, we have wants in our lives. It's, there's nothing wrong with wanting, but wanting keeps things away. When we keep affirming for ourselves that I want a better life, it just keeps us in that state of suspended animation of wanting. And there's a more interesting and powerful stance to take, which is that I expect a better life. I expect whatever wants to happen in and through and as me because I am in co-creation with this unlimited possibility and potential. I know I have certain gifts and attributes, and I call it forth in my experience, and I expect to see those things revealed to me. The problem with it is that it, it, it takes time to re-educate ourselves. See, we would like it all right now. Anybody here want all their demonstrations right now? Because Einstein said this. Einstein said the reason that we have time is so that everything doesn't happen at the same time. Can you imagine our lives if everything happened at the same time? I mean, it would be insanity. The absolute insanity. So it's a journey. Wherever you are to celebrate the journey right here and right now. But see, when we live in that, and so the love. If we get off into the love, did, it, did, it, did, you, did you hear that Michael Jackson passed away? Michael Jackson died a, couple weeks, a week ago or so. I don't know if anybody noticed. I saw it a couple times on TV. I now know more about Michael Jackson than I ever hoped to know. And the point being is that, that you know what? I celebrate Michael's music. He was a musical genius, and, and, and Fred Astaire said, the most amazing dancer we've ever had on the planet up until now, because I think that what he's done will be pa- by, passed up. Eventually someone will come along, that, you know, and his whole environment, his dad, his family, the whole thing prepared him for what he did. And you know what? I celebrate his music. The rest of it, I don't know. And I'm not giving it any energy. 
I just want to celebrate his music. The rest of it, I don't, you know, so many stories. But the point is, I'm watching this young girl stand outside Staples Center, and she's sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And saying, oh my God, he just meant so much to me. Oh, oh, and she's just, just crying a river. And I'm thinking, this is the love unbridled. Kennedy Schultz said that the love, the, uh, the love makes the world go round, and the law keeps us from getting dizzy. See, if we're so wrapped up in the hysteria and the emotion that we forget who and what we are, because I, I, I have compassion and honor and, and, and salute, um, and I'm so sorry to he- see the suffering that's gone on around that because it's been so amplified by the coverage. But, you know, a couple weeks ago, they had some Kulu found, uh, building in uh, um, Soweto burned down. I feel just as bad about that. That's a loss. The metaphysical poet John Donne said, every death diminishes me. Every death diminishes me. And so I understand it. It's not that I don't have compassion for Michael Jackson, but why, why in my universe would that death be any more significant than the loss of, of another person? But we, we have such a need to pour ourselves into something. Can you imagine what the world would look like if we had the passion towards spiritual transcendence that, that people have towards Michael Jackson? I mean, it's, just a, it, it's really a choice. It's really left brain, right brain, the, the things we pour ourselves into. And, and my spiritual practice has allowed me now to have greater clarity about when I start to spin in the story and start making stuff up. It's a fantasy. It's really just a, our own fantasy about this, this particular individual. There's still people going to see Elvis's grave. In fact, somebody told me the other day they saw Elvis over at the Burger King. I said, was Michael Jackson with him? No. You know, I mean, there are people still waiting for Jesus to show up. See, and, and how we interpret that is it's not about the physical form. It's about the consciousness. And so all I'm saying is it, it's not a very interesting idea. You know, it's great to love people. It's great to have heroes. I have heroes in my life, people that stretch me and, and, and lift me up. I read about them. I read what they write. I love that stuff. But I realize it's not about me being them. It's really about developing my own level of consciousness and celebrating life in a way that's powerful and wonderful so that my unique gifts can be shared, your unique gifts can be shared, your genius. I told Greg Russell, I did a prayer treatment with the musicians before service. And I said, and I know that the, that inherent genius within everyone here is expressed today. And he looked at me and said, it's been a long time since anybody called me a genius. I said, but it's true. We all, we all contain that. And so I'm not saying, you know, do your process with Michael Jackson, do it with Elvis, do it with whoever. But I do know that, that my loving... An icon is a very limited way of me exp- expressing my energy in the world. And the love and the law that we stand in, so I want to have the passion. See, when I get into the passion of it and the embodiment of the idea, then I'm certain. Then I expect. I expect great good in my life. I expect great, great clarity, opportunity. I'm a magnet for it. I just expect it. It doesn't mean I'm not disappointed t- at times. It doesn't mean that things, very little of it unfolds the way I think it should unfold. I still make mistakes. And, and what I do when I make a mistake, and I need to renegotiate, I renegotiate. If I need to apologize for something, I apologize. A couple of months ago, I said something about the Course in Miracles here. I got no business talking about the Course in Miracles. Don't know about it. Misrepresented it. I put it down. And so what I get to do is forgive myself. Move on. Make amends. Don't know enough about it to speak about it intelligently. Said something I should, shouldn't have said. I'm done with it. I put it down. But it's a memory I have. You know, don't go. Don't speak beyond your level of experience. Don't take a little bit of information and make a, and, and make a huge dissertation about it. 
You know, what's happened in our culture, at least in the U.S. when I turn it on once in a while, is the person that yells the loudest and is the most entrenched in a position is the one that's right. See, we've stopped thinking. People stop thinking. We all have to think. I mean, I, I think the right things are happening, but I'm not looking for somebody else to tell me what I should think. But it requires me to slow down and think about it. What's the, what's the best use of my energy right here and right now? What's the idea that I can express, that I can extend into the world, and then take the action to support it? Because I, have, I have limited capacity to do that, and I can't do it all. But I can do very well what I choose to do. So, is it, good for, is it right for me to fly down? I was teasing the kids this week. I said, I think I should fly down to the funeral. You know, I, I should be there. They just laugh and shake their heads at me because they knew I was goofing around. Is that a good use of my energy? Should I go to, to uh, uh, Lesotro and help build the, the, the uh, center at, at Simkulu? I don't know. You know, the whole Mesa Choir, all that's tied together. The support of that thing, they came through uh, the Simkulu group. But something, something bigger and something better will come out of this. Whatever it is, whatever it is, even if that community center is not rebuilt, a bigger idea will be given birth to it as long as we continue to call it forth. See, that's why we're here, I believe, is to give birth to this consciousness. The ideas, the brilliance and the genius that, that is longing for expression, it is so powerful. That's one of the things I loved about Llewellyn Von Lees, spending time with Llewellyn. He said, the new container, the new temple, the new cathedral is the community. It's the consciousness. And as we can nurture that, I don't have the answers, but I know the answers are seeking us. I don't know what the possibility and the potential is right now in detail. I don't have the text. But there's part of me that, that wants to go into the context and think about that, a world that works for everyone, and, and, and where there's peace on the planet. I think at this point in time, there's so many people who think we'll never have peace on the planet. But I do believe it's possible. It's the shift in consciousness. It's the shift in perception. It's the things that we pour our energy into that we know now don't serve the highest and best for everyone. And I think we think that if, if, if everyone has what they need, we won't have what we need. And that's just a fear-based thought. How much stuff do you need? $17 billion to store stuff we don't need. Just a thought, just an idea. But I do think when we look at left brain, right brain, we have to live in both. We have to take the text and turn it into context. It has to have meaning. Otherwise, it's just, Ernest Holmes said it, realization without application is hallucination. You know, I'm a multi-billionaire. I'm a multi-billionaire. And you can affirm that till the cows come home and work on creating the expectancy because that starts from want. But if you're not balancing your checkbook, you may have to go back over here and start balancing your checkbook. You may start having to pay your bills on time. Those are, the, those are the steps to bring you to that. And I would ask if I were working with you as a practitioner, why do you want to be a multi-billionaire? How much money do you need? We got enough. I mean, it's just, it's interesting, our, our perception of abundance, to have enough. You know, Jesus never walked around saying, you know, I need more, more, more. As the story went, and I believe it's metaphor, you know, he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. I think what he did is he opened the compassion of people that were with him in a way that allowed everybody to share what they had. I think that was the miracle. I don't think he manifested anything that wasn't there. I just think everybody carried food with him in those days. And then everybody decided, you know what? This guy has cracked me open. I want to share what I have. That's just my take on it. I think that's more of a miracle than, bam, this idea he was a magician. Here's your fish. Sweet. Any bread with that? Yeah, boom, there you go. <laughs> I think it is a miracle when our, our, our hearts are cracked open. 
the compassion. And so for us, I mean, this is an exciting time to live in. As we watch this, this progress go on, as we watch the evolution, as Dr. Holmes said, all of it, all of it, all of it is, is moving towards the expansion and the deepening of transcendence and consciousness on this planet. And as we do that work individually, we shape and change the texture of, of the environment in ways we can't even imagine. We, we discount many times the giving of a hug from a generous heart or the deep caring when things happen. You know, for me, when I see Michael Jackson's thing, I have compassion. I have deep compassion. Well, I have deep compassion for many things. And it's to be able to have the clarity and, realize, and not to get lost in the story and look at it as a loss. It's a continuation. Life, if we truly believe that life is eternal, then what, what has been lost? A physical body has been put down so that this soul could be free. I'm planning on, I don't know, you know, my, my tombstone's going to read, Gone to see for himself. And if I can write you a letter and get back to you on it, I'll let you know. So let's move out into the world with the, the understandings. Let's stop believing everything we think. Because a lot of the stuff I come up with isn't true. And what my spiritual practice has allowed me to do is say, stop that. That's ridiculous. You really believe that? No, I don't. Then stop it. Right now, stop it. Dr. Holmes said this. I'll leave you with this because I love him. One of my heroes. I love him. And he, and we, he left us this, all of his writing. Powerful, wonderful stuff. He said this, now stop ignorantly and stupidly denying your own capacity. He wasn't calling us stupid or ignorant. He says, stop denying your own capacity. Because that's stupidity and ignorance. We must not do it. He's got that italicized. Don't undersell yourself before the court of the Almighty. If God saw fit to make you and me, we belong and we are needed and God himself would be incomplete without us. Or he never would have made us. Now this calls for persistency of an idea. See, I'll tell you, the outstanding quality that I bring to this teaching is persistency. Persistency, because when I finally immersed myself in this, I knew I wasn't going anywhere else. Because I knew I had to do the work. And I had to work with people that could stretch me into it. And I was just so miserable, I, I was willing to do it. And I'd get it, life would get better for me, and then I'd say, great, I never have taken another class. I'm out of there. That, those church people are crazy. Get me away from them. And I realized, you know what? I need to immerse myself in this, and I, need to, and I need to be persistent. And this stuff gave me, this teaching gave me the freedom to do that on my own, to learn my, to, to, to go through the learning I needed to go through. It calls for persistency of an idea. You can heal everybody you touch. You can bring joy and gladness and love and rationality to every environment. I love that. You can bring joy and gladness and love and rationality. See, rationality is the, the ability and clarity to stand in the love and the law. It realize, too, this is God, this too is for good, and this too is for me. By just knowing you can, by just knowing you can, the silent, invisible flow, flow, sweet river, flow, Dr. Holmes said. But we cannot do it until we first have admitted it and accept it. So, all it requires this week, not hard, let's make it simple. I admit that I am of the divine. I admit it, that my life is one with that life. I don't understand all of it, but I'm willing to accept it. I admit it, and I accept it. And you start there. The rest of it will take care of itself. The right ideas, the right opportunities, the right people. And then when you start to pick up the resentment, the anger, the frustration, the loss, the limitation, the fear, go back to it. You know what? I don't tell myself that story anymore. I am one with spirit. I am one with the divine. I stand in that truth. This is my knowing. And sometimes we need to do that all day long. I find that sometimes when I start to spin it, you know what? This is not the truth of my being. This too shall pass. This too came to pass. 
And so I, I celebrate you. I acknowledge and see your genius, each and every one of you. I celebrate that. And as I call it forth in you, it automatically lifts me up because that's the conversation that we continue to have. So, so continue to do your good work. Continue to show up awake and aware and calling it forth and allowing yourself to be the magnet for those qualities and experiences that you, you want that eventually move into you expect. Blessings. so thought-provoking I feel like giving a sermon myself now <laughs> well, we haven't got time but we got time for a song um, this was the Oscar winning best song last year it's from a movie called Once which is about a red-haired Irish busker and uh, I really identify with that film and this song it's called Falling Slowly and I'm very very proud to be performing it with Robin and Brown.
Thank you. So if you'd like to slip a 20 in his pocket on the way out just to keep him warmed up for the busking this afternoon, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Love those red-headed uh, buskers. All right, so we have our intentional giving cards that have been in the program. We'll continue to do that for a few more weeks. It's uh, just a way of acknowledging those people that are in our program and thanking them and also keeping that in, in, uh, in front of people as well. It's also a way for them to convey their energetically their gift by placing this card in the basket. So if that's is you. Thank you. There's a, a blessing on it by Dr. Ernest Holmes, and I'm going to read that as our affirmation as we give this day. When you truly serve others by giving, you will receive so much more than you have ever dreamed of. You will be enriched in ways you cannot conceive of. Let this continue to be our, one of our expectancies. For this I give thanks, and so it is. One life, one power, one infinite divine intelligence in and through and as all of life. And I own that as my own. I admit it and I accept it. And so what I know is I stand in that flow of life like never before. The opportunities that are seeking expression by means of me find me easily and effortlessly. I'm resourced and guided to the right and perfect opportunities, doorways, people, the learning, the sharing, whatever it may be. Wherever we are, there's an intelligence that lives within each and every one of us. Let us allow that intelligence to be more obviously expressed in our lives. So I give thanks for this knowing. I give thanks for the healing consciousness that we represent. Blessing, enveloping, and holding each and every one of us in this beautiful light of opportunity and possibility and potential. I celebrate that with you. I give thanks knowing great and wonderful things continue to flow into my life, into your life. I live in that expectancy. It is my truth, and I stand grounded in the love and the law and continue to nurture that idea persistently. For this I give thanks. 
And in releasing that, I invite you to say with me once again, and so it is. Let's sing. Surely miss the best. 